Hello and welcome to the 12 in our series of podcasts dedicated to the new EU Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive, CSRD. I'm Simona Romanowski, VP of Innovation for Business Assurance, and I'm joined by my dear colleague, Catherine Beer, Regional Director for Business Assurance UK and Iberia. I wanted to discuss with Catherine the topic of greenwashing and more recently the new term social washing. We have seen so much in the media in the last few years on companies getting called out for making false or unvalidated claims on sustainability matters. Many have been caught out, but many not. And I want to explore what this means for companies as they get ready to have their sustainability data audited through CSRD. Catherine has been with Intertech for 15 years, working with companies from many different sectors to help tackle their supply chain assurance needs. So hello, Catherine, and thanks for joining me today. Let's start with exploring why there has been so much focus from NGOs, media, interest groups in hunting for these false claims, but also why we find companies in these situations of having unclear or unvalidated statements or claims in the first place. Thanks, Simona. And look, you and I have talked about this matter many times after we read an unpleasant article in the media calling out companies' false claims. But are they really false um, or what is the challenge here? I had to actually look up where the statement greenwashing came from. So I found a few articles um, on the matter stating that the term greenwashing is believed to have originated in the 1980s when an environmentalist, Jay Westerville, hopefully I've said that right, used the term in an essay titled Caring for the Earth, a Strategy for Sustainable Living. And this was published in a hotel industry magazine. Now, in the essay, he used the term to describe the practice of hotels claiming to be environmentally friendly by encouraging guests to reuse towels while simultaneously engaging in environmentally harmful practices. Now, the concept, of course, gained more prominence in the 1990s as the environmental awareness increased and has become a widely recognized term that we use to describe instances where businesses exaggerate or falsely claim their commitment to environmental sustainability for marketing or public relations purposes. Now, I believe since then it has got much more complex. We know that. I don't believe that companies actually set out to make false claims. It is just a reality that the world of sustainability laws, requirements and supply chain complexities make it difficult to ensure that you have covered every aspect of knowing what sustainability practices go into producing your products or running your services, etc. So Today, companies ultimately find themselves in a race to meet sustainability commitments that their country or their industry have signed up to, a race to have the most sustainable product to win more business, a race to stay relevant, um, and, a, and a race to have the best sustainability report, and so on. Um, and it's the same, of course, with social washing. Okay, so let's focus for a second on the point you made around country or industry legislation making this more complex. Can you give some ex examples, expand on this a little bit? Sure, yeah. I mean, let, let's take a look um, here closer to where I am in, in the EU space on regulations. 
um, with regards to addressing misleading or dis- deceptive claims related to environmental sustainability. These regulations, of which there are many, um, aim to ensure that the consumers are provided with accurate information about the environmental performance of products and services. So if we think about the EU Directive 2005 um, on unfair commercial practices, this directive sets out rules concerning unfair business to consumer commercial practices. So ultimately about misleading environmental claims um, being considered unfair um, with regards to commercial practices under this directive. Then the EU regulation number 1007 in 2011 on textile fibre names and related labelling and marking of the fibre composition of textile products. Now, this regulation establishes rules for labelling and marking of textile products, including requirements related to the environmental claims. So today we have saw a strong emergence of companies to get certification of their sustainability claims on material, for example. Take Textile Exchange, Simona, which, which you lead for us in Intertech, for example, where we have a number of schemes looking at recycled and organic content, ensuring from recycler through to the retailer or brand, a chain of custody can actually be proved. Now, this certainly makes it transparent for the buyer to know where the material has originated from, but also that the brand has done its due diligence and ultimately it's helping the brand map its supply chain and be more connected to understanding the environmental and social risks associated with production. Now, if I take another industry example, um, let's take the EU regulation on the provision of food information to consumers. Again, different industry, but same principle. While primarily focusing on food information, this regulation includes provisions related to the use of environmental and ethical claims on food packaging. Just one more example, if if we look at, again, the EU regulation on the monitoring and reporting of greenhouse gas emissions. This um, pertains to the monitoring and reporting of greenhouse gas emissions, but does not directly address sustainable claims. However, it reflects the EU's commitment to addressing the topics. Um, And, you know, just just one that came up this year and went further again in September with the EU saying it will ban sweeping environmental claims such as climate neutral or eco by 2026 unless companies can prove the claim is accurate um, as you know ultimately the, the, the EU bloc cracks down on greenwashing of consumer goods. So the rules will also outline claims based on emissions offsetting, often used as the basis for um, assertions that products are carbon neutral or have reduced environmental impact, along with green labels that are not from approved sustainability claims. Now, the change due to come into force by 2026, which of course is not that far away, would make the EU the toughest region, I would say, in the world in terms of its approach to green claims made to the public. Um, Obviously, it still has to go through the EU Parliament and the member states, but it's quite rare 
that there's a uh, refusal to approve. On the other hand, there, I would say there isn't a specific set of laws or regulations directly addressing social washing in the same way that some regulations address greenwashing. Um, you know, the term social washing generally refers to a company's attempt to present a socially responsible image while potentially neglecting or contradicting those claims in their actual practices. And this is, I think, one of the reasons that both CSRD and, you know, CSDDD, the Corporate Sustainability Due Diligence Directive, are so key in helping to push forward further visibility um, of what companies are doing to address human rights and social compliance matters. Wow. Thanks, Catherine, for, for that very um, a thorough, uh, you know, background and explanation. So does CSRD or even CSDDD specifically stop green or social washing? I mean, you know, I think there will always be media attention around finding ultimately a juicy story related to a sustainability statement's shortcoming. Um, and due to the sheer challenge in front of companies to address a vast array of sustainability matters associated with their business and their supply chain, I think it's still very much a journey we're all on. Um, but I, I guess let's review what CSRD and CSDDD will help with. I mean, I strongly believe that CSRD plays a crucial role as it involves companies being transparent and accountable about their environmental, social and governance practices. Now, it requires companies to provide detailed information about their sustainability initiatives, um, environmental impact and social responsibility programs, both internally and with their value chain. So ultimately, increased transparency is going to help the stakeholder, including the consumers, investors, regulators, etc., to scrutinise and verify the accuracy of the company's claims. Also, having a standardised reporting framework makes it more difficult for companies to manipulate or exaggerate their sustainability achievements. I think also the disclosure of specific metrics and KPIs related um, to, to these performance will force them to have to show that they have got good you know, programs in place to gather this um, or, or, or they don't. Um, and I think detailed metrics enable stakeholders to assess the progress over time and compare its performance against industry benchmarks, for example. I would say also, importantly, let's not forget that CSRD will involve third-party verification um, or assurance of these reports. So independent audits by external entities helps ensure the accuracy and reliability of the disclosures. And I mean, if we now put the, the legal implications slant on that, Non-compliance can be flagged through CSRD, leading to legal consequences, you know, and of course, reputational damage uh, for companies engaged in, you know, any exaggerating or green social washing of these, these statements they may make. So we saw last month, France was the first country to issue their final, you know, transposition of the CSRD uh, requirements for France. And there it states the penalties 
associated with non-publication, for example, you will be liable to a fine of, you know, a, a few thousand euros plus an injunction under the fine by a third party. Um, there also is, if you try to avoid the audit, uh, a much more hefty €30,000 fine plus two years imprisonment. And for obstructing an audit, liable to up to 75000 fine and five years imprisonment. So these are huge impacts, Simona, for a company. Yeah, it's um, it's amazing what's how these laws are progressing. And this month, Catherine, we also saw saw the EU lawmakers reach a deal on the new environmental human rights sustainability due diligence law, what we've been calling as the CSDDD. So this sets out obligations for companies to identify, assess, prevent, of course, mitigate, and then they have to address and remedy impacts on on people and planet. And this can range from child labor and slavery to pollution and emissions, um, even deforestation, damage to ecosystems uh, in, in the company's upstream supply chain, and also some downstream activities such as the distribution and recycling. Exactly. And, you know, the new rules also include requirements for companies to engage with those affected by their business activities with obligations including the introduction of a complaints mechanism with a five-year period for claims by those concerned by adverse impacts as well as communication of due diligence policies uh, you know, and monitoring of the policy's effectiveness. So, uh, you know, a, a, additionally, I would say the new agreed directive also sets up a system of supervision and sanctions with member states setting up supervisory authorities to monitor compliance with the obligations and to then impose penalties, including a naming and shaming and, you know, fines with as much as we, we they're stating up to 5% of the annual global revenue. So the impact is significant now when you consider the legal impact, potential imprisonment, and of course, you know, the reputational damage. But the whole point is about helping companies work on a journey to compliance and improvement. So we need to consider this (laughs) as a positive attitude after I've mentioned all those scary things, but we need to look at it as a positive movement and see how this helps industries collectively work together, Simona, on sustainability change. Thank you, Catherine, so much for your time today and for the thoughts on the matter. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you. As a reminder on how Intertech can help on CSRD, so there are four ways. First, we can help understand your current CSRD readiness. Um, we can help you to undertake a gap analysis and ensure you have a clear view of your organization's current readiness. And we will work with you to define clear action plans to address any gaps to prepare for your first submission. We also provide training to ensure everyone understands what's required to prepare for your submission. And this can be delivered to a range of different teams and functions across your organization and will be bespoke to best fit your requirements. Third, we can also provide auditing solutions, and in some markets, we will be able to act as the auditor of your CSRD directive report, as one single provider supporting you from your early preparation through to audit of submission. 
And finally, we have also partnered with ESG Playbook, a leading SaaS reporting and solution provider, bringing in one tool or required data collection, aggregation, and tracking and reporting for ESG matters. For more information, visit www.intertech.com forward slash assurance forward slash EU hyphen CSRB. So this concludes today's podcast. Thank you for listening and watch out for further CSRD episodes to help with your journey to compliance.